this issue about drones and all that stuff, it, it messes with our heads. It, it gets this idea that, oh, you know, like there is no way to oppose, uh, uh, you know, empire and all this technology with a guerrilla force, even though um, a, uh, an inferior guerrilla force, the Taliban, was able to defeat the United States. So that's number one. Number two, which uh, is very related, and also you have the most experience, of all the experience that you have, you have the most experience uh, for us, is this issue about the PKK and mm -hmm. the other uh, militias, like uh, the militia that, uh, that uh, I know very well, I'm actually waiting for these guys to pick me up, the uh, YBS. Um, and uh, the uh, the uh, uh, YPG um, and uh, this idea that Turkey is going to be able to wipe out like the Kurdish revolution or completely achieve its military goals against the Turkish revolution through the use of their superior technology, their drones and so forth. And so if you could speak on those, uh, those things. Uh, sure. Yeah. I mean, the First of all, you know, although drones are destructive, um, you know, they're they're never in the in the history of warfare has ever been, you know, the sort of uh, uh, trump card weapon that can can outweigh, you know, all all others. So I mean, it doesn't make any nation invincible, especially when you consider the fact that the U.S. had Reaper drones, and uh, you know, the biggest air force in the world, and satellites and everything over Afghanistan, and still couldn't you know subdue the population there. As far as you know, the invincibility of of Turkey, I mean, they've been fighting a guerrilla war against the PKK since 1984. And, you know, when you go back and look at the statements, you know, for, I mean, every year, 1985, 86, 87, you know, the, the Turkish army would always say, oh, next year is the last year, you know, we're going to finally vanquish, you know, Kurdish fighters and guerrillas next year. And then every year they would report these huge inflated death totals. Oh, we killed this many guerrillas this year and there's only a few hundred left. And then the next year, you know, they, they you know, so like one year they would say, oh, okay, we killed 5,000 this year. There's only a hundred left. And the next year they'd say, we killed another 5,000 without explaining how, you know, well, I thought there was only a hundred left, you know, after last year. And so, <laughs> yeah, you know, right. Like, that math you know, over and over there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, over and over the math would be, you know, um, Oh, we killed this many, you know, and there's there's almost none of them left. You know, you, you heard that, you know, you hear that over and over. But the fact is, is that right now on a sort of per man basis, the PKK is probably stronger at this point than it has been in its entire history. It's more well armed. It has more public support. It has more capability. It has more technology. It has drones. The PKK, and they even have drones. Now, they don't have Bayraktar drones, but they they're starting to deploy sort of small um kind of individual drones that like a person can buy at like a hobby store and, and use these for surveillance or even for dropping grenades or, or for these kind of things. And eventually, you know, the, um, not just, you know, Kurdish guerrillas, but all kind of resistance movements will have drones as well, you know, and then the States will develop anti-drone technology for those drones. And then it's sort of, it's a constant kind of, um, back and forth between, you know, States or in oppressive States and sort of uh, insurgent movements and, and guerrilla movements and, um, you know, the, 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 it's just a constant battle. You know, as, as soon as someone figured out, uh, you know, flight, then they figured out they could attach a, a gun to it and, you know, and kill people from the air. And then people figured out how to shoot down those planes. And then they figured out how to fly with stealth planes. And then they figured out how to, you know, target stealth planes. I and mean, it's just this sort of constant back and forth 
um, you know, battle that it's always taking place. The real threat to states are going to be all of this technology they're making for their own drones is eventually going to get into the hands of non-state actors. And so, but yeah, I mean, to the Kurdish groups that you listed, you know, the, the Sinjar resistance units, and then you have the YPG and the YPJ in Rojava, and then you have the PKK in, in, in Bashur and in Kandil there. Um, I mean, Turkey is no closer to defeating them now than they were the year before, than they were the year before that. Uh, if anything, they're they're further away um, because the you know Kurdish resistance movement and, and now rather than being just limited to Turkey or even northern Iraq, it's you know it ha- now has a base in Rojava and it now has large support internationally. And it has it's learned a lot from uh, fighting and largely defeating ISIS and this sort of um, experience that it's gained in warfare um, and, you know, the kind of weapons that uh, the SDF has has been given in in, in Rojava and north and east Syria that are now, you know, have access, you know, that the Kurdish resistance movement, you know, writ large has access to. I mean, they're you know, they're, they're far larger, far more well-armed um, than they ever have been. And that kind of explains some of this paranoia from Erdogan as well. He knows that the Kurdish question is the one issue that can sink Turkey because, you know, Turkey as a state is fairly, uh, you know, homogenous other than its Kurdish population. And it only is that way because it's it largely killed off all the other groups prior. So, mm-hmm. you know, the reason why there isn't this massive Armenian population or Greek po- population or Pontic Greek population in, in Turkey or even a Syrian population is because the Turkish state massacred them all. And then what you saw is once all of the, you know, uh, primarily Christian groups were, were killed off, the Turkish state then turned its ire on, on the Kurds and you started to have the Dersim uh, genocide and, and uh, you know, all of the massacres that all predated Kurdish guerrillas. So, you know, this idea that when Turkey says, oh, well, we're just attacking terrorists. And, you know, if, if they were gone, we would have peace. I mean, there was no PKK in 1938 when the Turkish state was carrying out the Dersim, you know, genocide or massacre against Kurds. There was no PKK in the 70s when the Turkish state was, you know, murdering, uh, you know, Kurds throughout the country. Um, as with all conflicts, guerrilla movements usually arise as a result to state oppression, uh, sort of as a last resort of survival. And the entire time, the PKK has been fueled by Turkish brutality and Turkish oppression. There would be no PKK without the Turkish actions that they do, which lead people to join the PKK. So it's, you know, without Turkey setting up, you know, torture prisons um, and, you know, jailing Kurds and and murdering them and and, uh, burning down 4,000 Kurdish villages and sending 3,000, I mean, 3 million Kurds from you know, Northern Kurdistan into, you know, Istanbul and Izmir because they had to leave their, their homes after they were burned down. And this sort of brutality that you saw in, you know, Diyarbakar prisons where Kurdish uh, prisoners would, would light themselves on fire rather than, you know, further be tortured by the Turkish state. I mean, I mean, real kind of insane brutality throughout the 1980s and 90s that the Turkish state carried out. This is what fueled the growth of the PKK. If the Turkey was sincere and not wanting a world with the PKK, all they would have to do is stop carrying out the oppression that they're doing on the Kurdish population, and then their reason to exist wouldn't be there. But their reason to exist is based on Turkish actions. 